Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent in our church calendar. Last weekend, if I've reminded you, we wrapped things up in that was the last day of our formal church year. We don't follow January to December. It goes from Advent to Christ the King Sunday, which was last Sunday, the end of the world concept, and things are getting wrapped up. So today, we start all over again. And this weekend marks the beginning of a new cycle of church events. And we're going to spend the next six months, half of a new year, retelling the accounts of God keeping his promises. If you notice the first lesson, it's all about promises. And that's what we're going to be looking at these next several weeks. Promises that God made to mankind, beginning with Adam and Eve, all the way through Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the way, and ended up by retelling the story and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the last half of the year is what I call the so what section. It's, well, this is what God's done. What do we do about it? Or in Lutheran circles, we would say, what does this mean? And that's how we would say it. But that's what we do for six months. So we're starting all over again, and it's kind of neat. Well, let me ask you, what do you do to get ready for someone important coming to your house? You know, maybe if you hosted Thanksgiving, or maybe you're hosting Christmas, or maybe you're going to be going to someplace special. What do you do? You have the dirty socks on the living room floor. You got the dirty dishes in the sink. What do you do? You probably clean it up, right? You clean up your messes around the house for the arrival of that VIP. Maybe it's your family, your friend, or loved one. Of course you do. That's what we do, and that's a good thing. Well, Advent is a time of year in the church where we think about spiritual house cleaning, so to speak. Now, it's easy to see our physical house getting cluttered or dirty, but it takes some attention to be aware of that clutter inside our hearts. Because when our hearts are cluttered, that is, preoccupied, weighed down or feeling overwhelmed, a lot of pressure, it's difficult to keep smiling and keep going in life as if everything is just fine. You know what I'm talking about? We all look pretty nice on Sunday morning here, smiling and all cleaned up, but we got issues going on in our lives. Okay, so with that in mind, we begin this Advent season. I want to share several things, hopefully, will help us deal with those pressures and feelings, those messes that so often dominate our minds and hearts during these final hectic days before Christmas. What are we talking about? Four weeks? Oh, wow. Our text today is the first lesson that uh, Carolyn read for us from Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. Now, Jeremiah was written about oh, 600 plus years or so before Jesus. So what does that make it? 2,600 years ago? And so we're saying, well, that's old-fashioned. There's not much there. But actually, there's quite a bit there. Not only that took place back then, but for you and me here today, 2021. It was written by a fellow who understood all too well stresses and difficulties. His name was Jerry. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And he was a minister of sorts, a prophet, actually, a spokesperson for God, because that's what prophets were. And his ministry spanned almost 40 years between the year 627 B.C. to 586 B.C. before Jesus. 586 is the year that the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and everything went to pot. So that was his time period. Things were not good at all. 
And he served primarily in the southern portion of the land known as Israel, or the portion that's also called Judah. So that was his, his uh, territory, the congregational area that he spent his time in. A prophet, a spokesperson for God, who faithfully did his work. But his work was not always easy because there was a lot of messes going on. And part of his job, twofold, his name is any pastor today's job is twofold. One is to call attention to the problems, to sin, to difficulties in life, but also to bring hope and the gospel message. Well, that's what he did. And he was faithful at it. He confronted the leaders and the people with their sins. And man, they were, they were a mess. They were truly a mess. They had really, the folks had turned their back on God, said, we don't need you, we can do it ourselves. Looking to other gods, it was a mess. So he spent a lot of his time pointing out and condemning sin, and that didn't make him very popular with the leaders or the folks in the neighborhood, as you can well imagine. Because no one wants to hear about the things they do wrong, right? Even if they know, in their hearts, the guy's right. I don't think I'm that far off, am I? I think we fit that category. Well, after surviving the fall of the capital city of Jerusalem in 586, Jeremiah was not taken up north to Babylon. He was taken down south further to Egypt. And that's where he remained for a while. But during that time, do you think he could have been discouraged and said, to heck with this, what am I doing here? He could have easily. He remained faithful in spite of his country and all he held special crumbling around him. It was not an easy life for him. And yet, those years of obedience had made him strong and courageous. And in the midst of terrible and bitter hardships, Jeremiah pointed out a lot of things, but three things that I want us to look at today that I think are not just 2,600 years ago ancient history, but three things that folks like you and me can learn and help us make it through our messes in life. Here's the first one. Look at the end result. Look at the end of the game. Verse 14 of our text says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Which direction is that pointing our eyes? Not backwards, not even to the current. But he's saying, look at the big picture, folks. The days are, they're coming, they're coming. Refocus is how we would say it today. Refocus. Get your eyes on the big picture. Don't get so hung up only with the immediate troubles you're in. Yes, of course, they're very real and immediate concerns. You don't ignore them. You deal with them. Absolutely. Difficulties that you're in. But don't only think about them. His point, when you get stressed out, where's your focus? Where's your focus? And what Jeremiah is telling us and reminding us, keep the focus on the future, on that which can make a difference in life. Now, when you're in the middle of some mess, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. You've experienced some of those things, right? You may get your wish. Maybe you're saying, you know, I wish I had a little peace and quiet around here. Oh, man, all I hear are noisy and busy little kids running around. If you saw the children's talk we did a couple weeks ago there, those little munchkins, they, it was not a good day. I mean, I thank McLean. He, I, I told him it would be anxious to see how he cleaned up that mess because those kids, they were all over the place. And so you see a lot of cuts and in, in and out. I didn't know what, how he was going to pull it together, but good job. You cleaned up my mess. <laughs> good object lesson today. But 
that you kind of go, oh man, that's noisy. I wish I had a little peace and quiet around here. All I hear are those noisy kids running around. More than I can handle. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I can't wait until I'm an empty nester. Yeah, then I'll be happy. Then it'll be nice and peaceful, and I can go about my business. Okay, you empty nesters. Does it get quieter? Absolutely. Without that pitter-patter of little feet and the constant noise, chatter of those little munchkins, high-pitched little voices. But very often after a while of the absence of those happy laughters and busy activities, don't you start sometimes wishing for a return to the pitter-patter and happy noise? So here's the tip. N nothing new, profound, but something I think that's helpful to remember. Savor the moments you're given, my friends, right now, rather than wishing them away. Find some good. Find some good in what's going on right now. Well, that's what Jeremiah is reminding the folks back then, years ago. Surrounded by some pretty serious messes. King and the government were a mess. <laughs> Sound familiar? Okay. His life was a mess. Being thrown into a prison for telling the truth? Wow. His country was a mess. A war going on between Israel and their hostile and aggressive neighbors, which is Iran today. Back then it was Babylon, that's what it was called. And then to make matters worse, the folks Jeremiah lived and worked with were discouraged. Well, to all those folks in those very difficult situations, says, Jeremiah says, look, look at the end game. Look at the end game. This message was a reminder that uh, we have hope. And remember, he said this while he himself was in prison. Well, my friends, hope is the best tool in your arsenal to keep you going through difficult times. Hope. Hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is light at the end of the tunnel of the difficulties. <laughs> I came across a bumper sticker a while back that a little bit cute on this idea. It was saying, in order to conserve electricity, we've turned off the light at the end of the tunnel. Ooh. <laughs> well, for you and me, the light at the end of the tunnel is not controlled by human beings. That hope, that light at the end of the tunnel, can't be turned off because it is the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been shining for thousands of years and guided the paths of billions of people. So when you're stressed, look, look at the cross. You notice the cross is empty? And an empty cross represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not there. He's alive. And that means there's life on the other side of suffering and death. And life is something very real that no one or any circumstance can take from you. That light, which is Christ our Lord, ultimately offers you and me permanent joy. It's talking about in the heavenly realm, no more tears of despair, no more pain, no more suffering. So what you're dealing with here right now, very real, but it's not the whole story. It's not the end game. It's just temporary. So keep your eyes on the end game, which is heaven itself. Now that's the first truth. Second truth that Jeremiah pointed out and we can learn from is this. Trust in God's promises. Notice verse 14. I will fulfill the promise I made. 
said at the beginning that we're talking about God's promises and how he keeps them. What does God say? I make a promise, I keep a promise. That's pretty good because we tend to live in a day and age where promises are a little fluid, aren't they? God said that, I didn't, that he will keep his promise. And what God promises, he always delivers. In fact, it's important to remember that the entire Bible is about promises. It's about God keeping his word to us. Now, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. Did you know that the word testament literally means promise? Isn't that cool? All those promises before Jesus, that's what the Old Testament was. And then all the promises since Jesus' time, the New Testament. Promises of what God intends for you and for me. So at the heart of our Christian message is a message of hope. Hope in the fulfillment of all of God's promises made to mankind. Promises and promise keeping is a vital fact in understanding how God interacts with us. How he keeps his promises. And he means what he says. Came across just a little couple line uh, section that I thought was kind of cute and summarized it well. Uh, Lewis Sneeds, uh, Smeeds, he wrote it in a little book that was entitled The Chorus of Witness. And here's what he wrote. Yes, somewhere people still make and keep promises. Ones to see it through, they stick to lost causes. They hold on to a love grown cold. Once that promise is made, they stay with people who have become pains in the neck. They still dare to make promises and care enough to keep the promises they make. And he ends this little section by saying, I want to say to you that if you have a ship that you have not deserted, then, then, if you have people you will not forsake, then, if you have causes you will abandon, then you are like God. Ooh. Like God in that you keep your word. And I want to be like that. You see, my friends, that's what God is like. He keeps his promises, no matter what. In fact, he's even better. God's faithful and he keeps all of his promises all of the time. You know how many promises there are in the Bible? What do you think? 7,000 promises. Woo! Perhaps you might be interested in getting a book that has all the verses of God's promises in the Bible. Keep it by your desk or nightstand. You can pick it up and maybe read it through and be encouraged. Or perhaps you can pick up a Bible that has all those verses listed in the back of the Bible. Either way, it's comforting to know that our God keeps his promises to us to provide exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. We wonder at times, don't we? Well, the third and final truth that we can learn from Jeremiah's experience is this. Stop trying to be something that you're not. Hmm, what does that mean? You know, one of the universal stress generators is pride and self-righteousness. You know why? It's because we want to be in control of things. We want to call the shots. We want to be able to tell or actually demand of God what we want and when we want it. In fact, we want God to owe us because in our mindset sometimes we think of all the good things that we do when we say, God, you know, you owe me. 
Because you are so fortunate to have me on your team. You have no idea, God, how special I am. Therefore, you owe me because I'm doing the right things. I mean, just look what I do, God. Aren't you proud of me? You better be. I say the right words. I make the right choice. I come to church on Sunday morning. I go downstairs and have a donut and a cup of coffee and go to Bible class. I'm special. I give the right gifts. I eat the right amount during this Thanksgiving Christmas season. I actually probably did a little more than I should have, but I don't regret it. It was good. We're down to sandwiches, and next week will be a little turkey soup. You too, probably. But we're doing all the right things, God. Therefore, you owe me big time. <laughs> Felt that way or said those things in your mind anyway? Sometimes. When we try to be that perfect son or daughter of God, we only pile on more stress upon ourselves. Why? Pretty simply, because we can't do it. You and I can't be that perfect person that we often pretend to be. The outside world may look at him and say, my, what a wonderful Christian gentleman, lady that individual is. What wonderful children. But we know, don't we? We said it earlier. We said it earlier, all of us. It says we have a fatal flaw. Paul in Romans 3.10 put it this way. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. Okay. There's the truth. And we say, ouch. That's not what I want to hear. But it's true, isn't it? Now, those who have been involved or at least know about any 12-step program, whether it's Alcohols Anonymous or any of the other anonymous-type groups, but they're all based on the same 12-step concept. And those folks that are aware of that know that the first step in resolving your dominating issue is to do what? Admit that you have or that you are powerless to overcome it on your own. That's what they call hitting the bottom. Now, it's hard to do, but it's vitally important to be able to make progress to the healing and restoration. And then the next of those 12 steps is what? Dependence, acknowledge dependence on, they say in the 12-step program, a higher power. Whom do we know to be that higher power? We know it's God, don't we? Our triune God. Because God alone can turn things around in our lives. And when we acknowledge our failures and sins and turn to God for the help and forgiveness, we need a ton of, then a ton of stress is lifted from our soldiers' shoulders because we know we have a God of promises, a God who keeps his promises, a God who can fulfill those needs and hopes that we have. And then we can finally admit we don't have the power or ability to do it all by ourselves. And the really good news is you and I already have a connection to the only one who can do it all. In fact, has done it all, namely, Jesus Christ. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, anticipated God's gift to us this way. He said, only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. So, oh, just making it a point that Jesus is our answer. What a great stress reliever that we have. God's already done everything that needs doing to restore your relationship to God. Jesus did it. His death in place of yours to restore our relationship to God. And by extension with other folks that we encounter in our lives. His perfect life in place of our imperfect life. His love and forgiveness in place of our lifelessness. You're in my, you and me, my friends, are the most blessed of all folks. 
because we know the end of the story. We know what's ahead of us so we can make it through the present. We confidently know where we will spend eternity and with whom we will spend it. We're going to be in heaven with God himself. All the folks throughout the ages who are also part of God's family through faith in Jesus. And with that knowledge and faith and hope, our stresses in life, those messes that can get the best of us, can be shrunk. Not necessarily gone away, but shrunk. And we can savor the days that our Lord gives us here on earth. Our lives can be a little messy, but we can live with them through the hope that God has placed in us and allows us to have. We thank God for these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.